You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, it's my privilege to uh, close out our Easter series. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus who uh, was, and we looked at the cross of Jesus, and then last week, uh, we looked at Jesus who is, and we looked at the resurrection, uh, and today I want to look at Jesus who is to come, Jesus who is to come. And it says in Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, chapter 22, verse 12, it says this, Behold, I'm coming soon. What I'd love for us to do just for a moment, 30 seconds to a minute, is for us all just to maybe close our eyes and just to think about that statement, think about that verse. Because I really believe if we were to meditate upon that belief, on that incredible truth, it would change our lives forever. It would change our days forever if we were to wake up every single morning and say to ourselves, behold, Jesus Christ is coming soon. So just take a moment to pause and reflect upon that. Jesus, we as your church, one of many, many churches in this city, one of many, many churches around the world scattered, Lord, we say together, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we long for you to come. Lord, we look at this world, we look at the state that it's in, and we say, Jesus, come soon, Lord. And Lord, we say, let your kingdom come in this place. Let your kingdom come in our hearts this day. Lord, we long for you. Lord, we're so thankful to you. Everything that we have and everything we are is because of your extravagant, extraordinary grace. Lord, we do not deserve it. Lord, we just live in your mercy. We live in your grace. It is astounding. It is beautiful. Nothing we can do. Our righteous works are like filthy rags, Lord. We have nothing but you, Jesus, nothing but you. Lord, help us to never, ever, ever outgrow the gospel. Lord, we live in the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we ask this day that you would come by your spirit Holy Spirit, you would touch every single one of us. Lord, we would see you, Jesus. We would see you, we'd have a vision of you once again. We would be captivated by you. We would be wooed by you, Lord, that we would come back to you, Lord, to our first love. There is none like you. We love you, we worship you, we bow down before you, we exalt your name. Amen. 
You know, when I think about the Christian message, when I think about the gospel, we, of course, focus very much, don't we, on the birth and the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But the return of Jesus is so, so crucial to the gospel message. And yet, for me, it appears to have got sidelined over the years. And I've been thinking this last couple of weeks, why is that? Why is this aspect of the good news of the gospel being so sidelined? And I think for, for me, it, it, it's, it's probably a response to a lot of fundamentalism that we read and hear about when it comes to Christians and their thinking about the return of Christ. It's, it's been very much focused, hasn't it, on piecing things together, working uh, out when he will actually return. And um, with, with COVID and all that we've been through the last few years, and you think about uh, the, the horror of war that we're witnessing right now in the Ukraine, Russia, and all the other things that are going on, uh, I've just noticed a rise of people saying, well, look, Jesus, he must, he must be coming back this year. <laughs> and, um, and, and piecing things together, and we, here are the reasons why. And we look at Brexit, and we look at the European Union, we look at all these different things, and people are just trying to work out who the Antichrist is and, and various things. And, um, you know, in February, my family and I, we took a, a, a trip to a beautiful Lake District, and um, me and my two older girls, we went for a very, very steep walk uh, near the cottage that we were staying in climbing up um, one of the mountains. And what struck me, again, is the, is the view that one has from a distance of the mountains and hills is very, very different once you're among them. And um, I often look at mountains and think, yeah, I can, I can, I can climb that. And then, you, you, you know, five minutes in, you're like, do, do air ambulances work in... in, in the lay district, and um, of course, once we were among them, there were all sorts of other hidden hills and, and mountains and routes and terrain and streams and rivers and people. The weather completely changed. We started off and it was glorious sunshine. Ten minutes in, it was like windy and 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 rainy, and it was of course a lot steeper than we originally thought. And prophecy in the Bible is a lot like that. Prophecy is a lot like looking at a mountain range from a distance or, or kind of looking through a telescope. And it's hard to see the distance between things. It's hard to see the detail and, and what is relatively near and what things are far off. They all look as though they are next to one another. And biblical prophecy is often like that, and it's really common, therefore, for people to often obsess about the detail and the timings, and we get conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories have never been more prevalent in our culture right now because people don't like being out of control. So when we see things like COVID and the war and many of the the things that we've gone through personally, you know, just for us, we've seen the last two or three years bring more people pass away um, than ever before in this 
um, small period of time. And so you're trying to make sense of life. You're trying to make sense of, of your discipleship walk and what, it, what is going on here. So we like to grasp, if we could just grasp hold of something that can help us understand. And often people look away from all the answers that are actually in the Bible to detail and timings and conspiracy theories. And one person I read put it like this. I found this quite funny. I grew up in a church that talked about the return of Jesus a lot, about every week. And I remember posters with dragons on them. And each year we hosted a prophecy conference naming specific politicians as the Antichrist. This person said, sorry, Jimmy Carter. And we had our bumper stickers saying this, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. And it was such a big deal for us that as a kid, I had a recurring nightmare (laughs) about my parents being raptured while I was left behind. I don't know if anyone's had one of those nightmares before. Anyway, it's easy to kind of joke about these things, but the return of Christ is not, is not a, an embarrassing, uneducated uncle of Christian theology. It is so essential to our faith. The fact that Jesus could return any day, any moment, should sober us and change us dramatically. We also don't think about his return, I believe, because... We're a generation and a culture that's very much focused on the here and now. And the things of eternity are often not the main and plane of our thinking and our living. But I firmly believe that we as Christians, when it comes to thinking about the return of Christ, should actually have a very pragmatic approach to the return of Christ. And that we should learn to live now, today, on Sunday, in the light of the truth that he will one day return. And we should have a pragmatic approach. So in essence, it's a belief which shapes our lives actually today and come Monday morning when we go to work and we just do life. This truth should shape our Monday mornings So let's focus on what we do know and let's focus on what we should do with what we know rather than trying to work out and spend our days kind of dwelling on things that we don't know and never will know. How do we live in the light of this truth? God is so much more interested, isn't he, in the love in our hearts and the values of our lives rather than the curiosity of our minds. And I think when the curiosity of our minds starts to dominate over the love in our hearts and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, then I think we can lose that sense of purpose and calling that God has for our lives. So as a foundational point this morning, let me say this, that we should care deeply about the return of Christ. Now one reason for that is because the Lord's return is everywhere in the Bible. The Lord's return is everywhere in the Bible. The 27 books of the New Testament, only two tiny books, Philemon and 3 John, do not call our attention to the future. Almost every New Testament book references Christ's return, John 14, 3. And if I go, this is Jesus, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Here's what an angel said to 
Christ's followers in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The letters of the Apostle Paul constantly reference the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The writer of Hebrews says this, chapter 9, verse 27, just as people are destined to die, destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Beautiful, beautiful words that we should all be meditating on daily. The second coming of Christ was not a, a peripheral message or a secondary message for the writers of the New Testament or for Jesus himself. In fact, many of Jesus' parables were about his second coming. He, he constantly taught that he would one day come again. Whole chapters in the Gospels were devoted to the return of Christ. One and two Thessalonians, one Peter have Christ coming as their central themes. And so we need to understand how important, how crucial the second coming of Jesus was to the early church. It was part of their gospel preaching. When the apostles went out and explained the good news regarding Jesus, what God had done in sending Jesus to the Jewish Messiah into the world, part of that was laid out in the good news involving Jesus' second coming. So it says in Acts 3 verse 19, repent then and return to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the whole, until time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Think about the two great creeds of the early church, what we say in this, this church, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. It's a summary of what Christians in the early church believed and we believe, and they both speak about the return of Christ. The Apostles' Creed, we read this, on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge and the living and the dead. And the Nicene Creed, written in the fourth and the fifth centuries, he, Christ, suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom has no end. Profound central truths. So the Bible and the early church and Jesus, who walked on this earth doing good, performing miracles, teaching, healing people, crucified for our sins, rose again on the third day from the grave, ascended into heaven, and that same Jesus, the crucified one, the risen one, will return one day in glory to judge the world and save his people. So why 
This is so central. Why should we as Christians look forward to the return of Christ? Why should we be burning in our hearts for the return of Christ? And I think there are many reasons, but I want to give you just two primary reasons this morning. Two primary reasons. Judgment and his revealing. Judgment and his revealing. So first of all, judgment. In Hebrews 9, it says, it's just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Why should we look forward to judgment? I don't know about you, but when you think judgment, what is the first thing that comes into your mind? That often tells you a lot about how you view God and about how you view your walk with Christ. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? But the return of the Lord with judgment is something we should really be looking forward to for two reasons. Because of who the judge is, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our best friend, Jesus, the lover of our souls, Jesus who knows us inside and out, Jesus, this Jesus is our judge. This is why we look forward to judgment, because of who the judge is. And like I said, you know, maybe, uh, you know, pastoring many, many people over the years, you, you may have had a really poor relationship with somebody in authority. Maybe it was a father, um, your father, maybe it was a father figure in your life. Maybe it was a church leader, a mentor, maybe it was a teacher, I don't know. But maybe somebody you really respect, somebody who was... Uh, a real father figure in life, and there was damage there. You were let down, broken. And from that, you have placed that emotion, you have placed those feelings, you have placed those scars onto who God is. And so often that makes it difficult for us to relate to God as our Father. I want to encourage you to go on that journey with God the Father, to get healing in that area. But when I think about who the judge will be, Jesus, I just think, yes, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward today because there's nothing, nothing that's going to take Jesus by surprise. It's not like we're going to stand before him, he's going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't actually know you did that. I didn't know you had that thought in your, your head. I, I, he knows us intimately. He knows every single thing about us. He knows every bit of injustice that we have gone through. He knows the pain that we've gone through, the suffering that we've gone through. He knows absolutely everything. Jesus, who knows us and yet loves us so much, he will be our judge. And so we're going to be judged by him who died for us, who bore our sins on the cross who promised to never leave us nor forsake us, who loves us more than you could possibly imagine, we're going to be judged by that person. And we look forward to judgment because of what judgment entails. Now, most of the time when we think about judgment, I wonder what came into your mind when I said that, and I think for many of us it's punishment. Judgment equals punishment. The notion that God will judge is translated into our brains as God will punish us. And punishment does exist, of course, for those who 
reject Christ, for those who slap his hand away and say, I do not want you, I want to go my own way. Let my will be done rather than God's will be done and slap away that lifeline that he continuously throws to us. Now, of course, they will be left alone, and this is, should sober us as well, be left alone without a savior on the day of judgment. But the reason that judgment is something that encourages us who've taken hold of that lifeline, who've said, I need a savior, I need this savior now and forever, is that we will not stand alone on the day of judgment. Because judgment in the Bible isn't punishment, it is revelation. When Christ returns, the true nature of everything will be completely revealed. It will be as though the curtain will be drawn back and everything that has remained hidden will suddenly come into the light. Everything that has been in darkness will come into the light. The covers will be pulled back. Every mask will be ripped away. Everything buried will be exposed. Every secret will be revealed. Every whisper will be shouted from the rooftops. When Jesus talks about judgment, it is about a revealing. Christ will be revealed. Matthew 24, verse 27 to 30. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So the second coming of Jesus with its accompanying judgment will be a revealing of who Christ truly is. We're gonna see him the same way that Peter and James and John saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration with his glory shining through. But not only will Christ be revealed, which will be awesome, is that sin and hypocrisy will be revealed. In the face of the coming of the Lord, what every person is will become absolutely crystal clear is that sin and hypocrisy will be revealed. And I don't know about you, but right now, and this is pride, right now, we work so hard, don't we, to cover, to cover our reputations. We work so hard to preserve our reputation to appear to be just right in front of people. And so affairs are hidden by separate email accounts and separate phones and lies about staying late for work or going out for drinks with friends. Addictions are hidden by denials and minimizations. Right now, sin wears a thousand masks in which kind of bad masquerades as Good and darkness is called light. But one day, when Jesus comes, all darkness and masks, all pretenses, everything that has been done for show will be taken away. The things that we use to cover ourselves will be laid bare, will be exposed before Jesus. And what I love about this is that when Jesus returns, not only will Christ be revealed, sin and hypocrisy will be revealed, but God's children will be revealed. Do you know, right now, I think some of God's best children are hidden. 
You think about the saints that are quietly praying and serving in the Ukraine and Russia right now. Think of Jed and Kim and those guys who are part of our church right now and all that they're doing. The cost of following Christ. They're some of the best saints because they're hidden. They pray in obscurity, alone in apartments and kneeling in churches in the morning just with a few others or in a hospital bed right now or in one of our care homes in the city. So many of Christ's best children are serving in hidden places. We, Sam led us in uh, praying for the persecuted church a few Mondays ago at our prayer meeting. It was just glorious. There's something about praying for people in these countries which just does something to your heart, melts your heart. And I think about those people, the, the Christians who have been tortured and dying, just a few for following Christ. So many precious people in the world right now don't, the world do not even recognize going about following Christ, doing good in a quiet way, denying themselves to make a better life for their children, to make a better life for taking care of an elderly parent or a sick spouse, denying themselves to live in obscurity on the frontiers of mission denying themselves to give sacrificially, to serve in inconvenience, to resist temptation. One day, all of God's children will be revealed. I think one of the things that the Holy Spirit seems to be doing in the world right now, he is dismantling the toxic culture of Christian celebrity and platforms. I think where the church is just based around, hey, that one single man and woman of God who's on the platform, on the stage, and inverted commas, has the anointing, it's just baloney. And I think what Christ is doing in our day is the ground is becoming level again. Authenticity, weakness, vulnerability, humility, character, faithfulness. These are the things that Christ is looking for in his people, looking for in leaders, looking for in church. People who won't just wait to be judged by Jesus, but actually are doing the judging themselves now. They're living in sober judgment. They're not, they're not looking at themselves too low in false humility. They're not looking at themselves too high in pride, but they're looking at themselves just Right, and we always listen, don't we? And here we're double hearing that without Christ, we are nothing. But with Christ, we are the children of God. We are heirs of the King. We are co-heirs with Christ. Washed and saved in his precious blood. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living in us, just extraordinary inheritance that God has given his children. But I really believe in the church globally, God He's just mixing things up. He's turning things upside down. And when people have relied on worldly models of church and leadership, particularly in the Western world, he's saying, let's get back to what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Let's get back to the Bible. That's why we're going to be doing a series looking at Titus in June, looking about what 
biblical leadership looks like in today's world. Right now, it's the loudest. It's those on social media who have loads of followers who are saying lots of things, the most self-promoting, the person who owns the biggest and the best that gets all the attention. But when Christ returns, the people who spent their entire lives pursuing Jesus, promoting his interests, promoting the interests of others, saying no to themselves and yes to him, all of that one day will be revealed. And we live in the light of that. So I'm just going to finish up uh, with few things of how we can live in the light of this practically. Just a few things. And then we're going to pray. First of all, knowing that Jesus will return, I really believe helps us to clean up the garbage from our lives. <laughs> just clean it up. Don't wait for Jesus to come back. Start preparing. You know, um, it's not so much now uh, I'm married with four kids, but certainly when I was younger as a student, uh, when my parents were coming to visit me, I would do the classic clean of the house. Anyone else with me on that? I don't know what it was, but I, my parents would always spot the little bit that I hadn't done. I've spent hours cleaning this house and you've just gone to that one lampshade and have seen dust. And again, um, maybe, maybe we've kind of taken that viewpoint and, and placed it on God, but do you know what? Well, there's something about the Holy Spirit is holy. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is holy and we focus on the things of the Spirit, recognize that what ultimate goal of being a Christian is about is to look like Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is to look like Jesus. And Jesus gets into all those areas that we've maybe um, we've locked that door in, a, in the house of our lives and we've put a, a lock on it and say, you can go anywhere Jesus, but not there. Well, do you know, guess where Jesus is going to try and go? He's always going to go to the areas that we've tried to shut him out of and I encourage you to prepare for the return of Christ by constantly just confessing our sin. Well, we missed, missed the mark. Confess our sin to Jesus. Say, Lord, Lord, I got that wrong and just come back into that place of intimacy with him to other people. You know, when revivals hit churches and cities, it is followed by spontaneous confession of sin. This is what we're looking for even in our gatherings. That if someone can get stand up and just say, I want to confess my sin. It's what we should expect when the Holy Spirit is, at move, is on the move in our community. We'll talk more about this over the next few weeks, but I just want to slot it in there. The second thing is, is we invest in the bank of heaven. We store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on earth. And so I think understanding kingdom generosity in the light of Christ's return, helps us to detach ourselves from worldly possessions, things that hold on to us, but to let go of those things for the sake of a bigger purpose, for the sake of eternity. The third thing, spiritual alertness. I think that's what helped the early church in their passionate faith for Christ is because this was so central because they were expecting it. It's like they were on their tiptoes. It's like they were straining forward in anticipation, expectation of the return of Christ. Therefore, there was this sense of alertness. 
And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can often be asleep. Allow the things of the world to choke our hearts. We allow apathy to get in and spiritual alertness because we know Christ is coming. I want to be alert. I want to be ready for him to come back. Am I living in a way today that I'd be happy to see him tonight? And when that happens, is that all the things that we're that are hidden, the things that we're concealing, maybe there's things going on in our world right now, in our lives that nobody else knows about. You've got to go beyond about being caught. You've got to go to a place of Jesus may come back today. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Fourthly, mission urgency. Have you ever wondered why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Peter answers this in 2 Peter 3.15. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Jesus hasn't returned because he's giving people an opportunity to come to Christ. Therefore, we as Christians, we as the church, there needs to be a mission urgency. There needs to be an, uh, an urgency to share the gospel and to live our lives in such a way that reflects Christ so that more people will come to know him. I think what that does is it, it rearranges our priorities, doesn't it? it? It makes no sense going around rearranging deck chairs on a sinking Titanic. <laughs> but a lot of people are doing that. We need to be a people who are not so consumed by our holidays and hobbies and possessions and bucket lists, but absolutely focused on Christ and his cause and the gospel. Two more really quickly, power to forgive. Tim Keller points out that believing in the return of Jesus gives us the power to forgive. You know, when someone wrongs us, the the human response is justice. We want justice. And so the problem is, is we hop into the judgment seat of God (laughs) and we begin to judge people. But you know what? The judgment seat of God is far too big for us far too big and so what helps us to release and relinquish and bring forgiveness and not live in bitterness and resentment is just to recognize that Jesus will come and he will bring truth he will bring justice he will bring judgment and to not run into the judgment seat ourselves but to allow Christ to do that we can endure wrong accusation we can endure injustice for a season for a time because Jesus will come and he will set everything right and we must always focus on that and then finally hope in suffering and I know for many of you this has been an extremely traumatic season but I think focusing on the return of Christ gives us hope in suffering you know, depictions of Jesus' return often have him coming through uh, the clouds or, or riding on top of them. But Jesus, if you actually read it, he says he'll be coming back in the clouds. And of course, I haven't got time to go into it, but the cloud is a reference in the Old Testament to his glory. Jesus will come back in glory. And so that is a promise. When Jesus comes back in his glorious glory, 
It is a promise that all the pain and all the suffering in our lives cannot last forever. The return of Christ is good news for people whose lives are currently filled with bad news. And so if someone in your family has just passed away or if your marriage is dissolved or if you're lonely or your body is racked with chronic pain, Jesus is saying to you, lift up your eyes. I'm coming back and it might be today. And therefore, there is reason to hope even in the midst of the darkest valley. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.